Welcome to Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia, Q's Marketing Director, and every week I have a chat with a marketer or entrepreneur from the tech space to get to the bottom of a bunch of things that are probably fascinating you, inspiring you, or downright puzzling you right now. Think how to make decisions about your career, what it actually takes to build a successful startup, marketing tactics you should and shouldn't bother with, the dark side of hustle culture, equality in the tech industry, and more. In this week's episode, we're focusing in particular on that last topic, equality in the tech industry. We're welcoming back B2B SaaS consultant, Nicole Elizabeth DeMere, who joined us on season one of Conversations with Q to discuss how we can make the tech industry and the world in general, a more diverse and inclusive place. Nicole reached out on social media to ensure we had insights from lots of different people and they had an overwhelming response. We weren't able to cover it all in the podcast, but we'll be including everything in a follow-up article on blog.q.co with lots of resources and even more stats and information. So, Nicole, it's really good to have you back on the podcast. You were a guest on season one and we had a great conversation about all sorts of things, um, your career and marketing. But what kind of really stuck in my mind from that interview was when we touched on issues around diversity and inclusion in tech. And you pointed out the lack of intersectionality and how businesses approach hiring more women, for example. And you just spoke in a really inspiring way about how you feel it's your duty to support marginalised people and stand on the right side of history. So when you approached me asking if we could do another podcast together, I knew this was something I really wanted to dive into some more with you. And in this episode, we're going to be addressing some issues in the tech industry in a bit more detail. And I thought it would also be good to just kind of come up with more of an action plan for dealing with these things. If we can, we'll do our best because it's a very big issue to tackle. Um, but to start with, just to get the conversation going, what are some of the most shocking stats about the state of diversity and equality in the tech industry that you've come across? So just a quick caveat, um... I am a non-binary trans person, I am white, and I also consider myself as a, a woman in tech and um, a, as a gender fluid person. So some of these stats don't apply directly to me. Um, I am sharing them uh, on behalf of other people, but ideally, you know, for some of these issues, you'd want to talk directly to the people that the statistics affect or you know the situations affect um and yeah thank you for having me back on the show you're very welcome um so one of my go-to intersection for stats and i i feel like i say this all the time it's just i just don't get it um so it's investors are still failing um to back founders from diverse backgrounds and according to TechCrunch, in 2017, VC investments reached $84 billion, with the following percentages for about 10,000 co-founders. 9% were women, 17% were Asian American, 2.4% were Middle Eastern, 1.9% were Latinx, and 1% were Black. This is despite, according to Fortune and other sources, black women being the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the US. And this is also despite black women now being the most educated group in the US, according to The Root and other sources. And so when black women are the fastest group of entrepreneurs and the most educated, how is it that we're only seeing 1% of black people being invested in and if we broke that down that percentage is going to be even less for black women mm. and that is something that just absolutely angers me yeah, um, and so That's that amazing. is something that i really think more people should talk about and i am so grateful for arlen and other people out there who are talking about this and actually doing something about it yeah um, so I've also got a couple of other stats here. Um, according to Carolyn Galvante, I really hope I pronounced her name correctly. Um, Sounds like she you did. is uh, Filipina at Walt & Co. 
4.4% of PR specialists identifies Asian Americans, while 8.78 identifies Black slash African American, and 81% identify as white. And this is da data via the USA, um, which means that if you're doing PR, there's going to be that, that systemic bias and who's getting represented yeah. um, with PR and, and who's getting the word out um, just because, the, you know, the way that the system works with like people supporting each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, according to Chris Bowman at brightest.io, less than 2% of tech startups have a dedicated team or leadership position for, focused on diversity. According to Jessica Higgins at culturedslashgroup.com, uh, she says the most shocking diversity stat in tech right now is that over 50% of startup entrepreneurs in the U.S. are first-generation Americans. And if our economy is being created by immigrants, why are we politically trying to keep them out? Mm. Which I 100% agree with. Um, you know, there's way more than bus business value than immigrants, of course, but that's huge. Mm. Um, and according to Sabrina, a CEO at Valued.co, um, who is Filipina, first-generation immigrant, there are more CEOs in America with the first name of John than there are women CEOs in America. Oh, my God. <laughs> that yeah. is crazy. That's just so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that one before, but in a way, not surprising. Right. <laughs> yeah, that really just says it all. So I, that um, stat that you just touched on about um, tech startups not even having any kind of dedicated team or leadership position focused on diversity, I think that's so common. And, you know, especially as startups are, not that it's an excuse, but as startups are so kind of chaotic and it just falls by the wayside. So what do you think organisations can do to create more inclusive working environments? So this is a really huge question, and I can go over it in a couple of different sections. In general, be aware of intersectionality and the role it plays in which people fall under multiple forms of marginalization. Um, for example, according to statistics, a black woman makes less than a white woman. Um, simply focusing on the earnings of women does not offer the whole picture. Mm. You've got to really break it down into different intersections. Yeah. Um, don't obligate your marginalized staff to help train employees who aren't marginalized. It's not their job, um, be, but be open to their input. Um, being open to input could have helped Starbucks avoid um, some of the issues that they faced, I believe, last year um, with having their marginalized employees having to train um, yeah. non-marginalized employees. Yeah, I think that's a real um, problem, isn't it? You know, people turning expecting marginalized people to come up with the answers for all of these issues we're saying we're experiencing and it's not their job like everyone needs to educate themselves yeah exactly so um what we do as white people is create this systemic oppression and then we expect marginalized people to dig their way out of it yes, exactly. instead of us stopping doing what we're doing to create that oppression in the first place. So it's really on us to make these changes. Mm, couldn't agree more. Um, so continuing on um, for LGBTQ, um, you can train staff on the full spectrum of sexual orientation and gender identity, including the LGBTQ vocabulary so everyone knows the correct terms. You can provide sensitivity training that is up to date and not just about racism and sexism. Um, offer equal benefits packages for everyone. Um, I see this a lot. Some health insurance providers don't provide benefits so that LGBTQ employees need. Mm. This is a very complex issue. Um, and don't ever dead name your staff and don't dead name your friends, family, like, just don't do it. Not only is it really unsafe for LGBTQ people, but it is very hurtful. Mm. So just for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with that term, can you just explain what it means? So it means that you were assigned a name at birth and you have that name legally until you change it. Um, and even if you still have it legally, um, you might 
change your name to a different name and that's Mm -hmm. the name that you is your name it is now your name and that is how people should refer to you and they should never say to their friends oh i knew so and so when they went by this name or Mm -hmm. i knew them when before they transitioned or whatever it is kind of comment it can be very 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 hurtful um and and cause a lot of dysphoria and, and other issues sure thank you um, so for people of color, and I consulted with Mariani de Leon on this, these tips, um, she's a biracial Latina. She says, um, make sure your employees of color are not tokenized and they aren't in charge of educating others on their backgrounds, cultures, and beliefs. They're not responsible for emotional labor. Um, ensure that there are more women, women CEOs of color Um, Make sure that there are enough people of color working in your company so that not any one person of color is treated as a spokesperson for their race. And she says this is a major problem that she encounters a lot and different jobs that she's been in. Um, Make sure that you have enough people of color that they are there to relieve the person of color that is treated as that spokesperson. in the healthcare industry, acknowledge the humanity of people of color. White people don't think people of color can experience pain. And I see the stats about this all the time with childbirth and, and deaths mm-hmm. of black women, especially, and them not being taken seriously. Um, allow room for people of color to come in with diverse experiences and also with the ability to fail. Everyone learns. But if you're a marginalized person, you're expected to do twice the work. And I've I've heard so many people say that. Like, there's this burden of being a superhero, a mother, a caretaker, um, for providing a Black opinion or an Asian opinion. And it's just absolutely too much. It's too mm. much to ask of, of people. They're, just, they're trying to do their job. Yeah. Um, Foster an environment where women of color can express their emotions without being coded racially, such as the angry black woman or the sassy Latina woman. Train employees on microaggressions and make sure that when employees um, do microaggressions that people aren't, of color aren't respons- responsible for comforting them um, if they speak up about the microaggressions. Um, so that, you know, if their feelings are hurt, like, it's not the person of color's responsibility to comfort them. Yeah. And um, microaggressions can be anything from playing in a black person's hair to um, saying things like, I don't see color, when really we want to celebrate and see color instead of erasure and pre- pretend that it's not there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really... It's microaggressions, I think, um, personally, is something that, like, everyone really, really needs to work on, no matter who you are, because there's so many different types of people, and we could be doing them every day without realizing it. Yeah, it's probably kind of the most insidious form of um, all of these issues that we're talking about, actually, and something that we can actually tackle now really easily if we make the effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, For women, be aware of who does the office housework. And I remember when I first got um, a college, one of my college jobs, they asked me if I could clean a refrigerator out. And I was just like, no, that's (laughs) not happening. Like, if I'm responsible for doing that here, when I'm supposed to be doing SEO, yeah and and html and everything this was in the early 2000s like i'm leaving yeah. <laughs> like um it happens a lot yeah. um that women ask to get you know can you clean the office can you take care of of the meeting from the luncheon we just had or, or mm-hmm. whatever um also advocate with amplification so when a woman makes a good point or brings up a good idea in a meeting Often the men in the meeting will say the same thing afterwards and take the credit. Um, this, especially, this especially happens in tech. Um, so, and there's research around this too, where uh, women say something, it totally goes ignored. Men will say the same thing 10 minutes later and everybody's like, that is such a great idea. Mm. And 
it's erasure and it's hurtful. Yeah, of course. Very, very common. Yeah. Um, for disability, make sure that you have accommodations. These are not nice to have. They're a must. You know, um, do you have a ramp? Do you have ways for people to access what they need to access? Um, and also don't make memes of people who are disabled. I see these sometimes on Twitter, um, where one I saw recently was a legally blind person looking at their phone and the meme was, what's wrong with this picture? Mm. Well, nothing's wrong with it because even if you're legally blind, you can still see to some extent. And also you might be using your phone with voice or other means. Um, and mm. it's just not funny. No, and I think meme culture can be really, really harmful in that way. And I, I know we've discussed this um, before in some of the conversations we've had, I think, um, to use Twitter chats and things like that about things like, um, I think you brought this up actually, kind of reaction gifs um, and things like that. And people just don't think about them. Um, but yeah. Something to watch yeah, using digital blackface yeah. is something that I noticed from people who even speak out against it are still doing it, yeah. which very much confuses me. I don't understand that. Um, there's a great Teen, Teen Vogue article on what it is and why we shouldn't do it. That's a really, I'll actually share that in the show notes as well, because that's a really good thing to read. Um, and of course, there's hiring, and hiring mm. is a really complex subject. Um, people can be rejected for being disabled, they can be rejected for their weight, um, they can be hired with less of a salary because of their gender. Um, so there are hiring platforms out there like Vervo that are trying to hire based on assessment tests and things like that outside of resumes where um, maybe the gender isn't readily identifiable and, and weight, et cetera, um, so that you're hiring the person for who they are mm -hmm. and not just characteristics that you're judging about them. And that's really important. And when you've got HR, which I've read so many startup stories where people did report to HR and they just looked the other way. Mm. So I feel like HR is broken as well. And I feel like HR and hiring go hand in hand. Mm. And um, both of those need a lot of work, um, mm. especially with bringing in different types of people and ensuring that there's intersectionality there as well. Yeah, and I really hope to see in you know what you touched on in the hiring process being based on assessments and kind of eliminating um, surnames and genders on resumes. I wish that was just the standard, you know, for hiring processes. It absolutely should be. Yeah. Um, and a lot of interviews don't take place face to face anymore. Yeah. Um, people are filling out forums over and over and over mm. on the internet and then they don't even hear back from people the whole thing is the whole process is broken yeah um, so thankfully we are seeing companies like Robo that are trying to help fix that at least on the hiring side I don't know a whole lot about what HR is doing to improve so um, also according to Francis Dewing at Rubica um, for hiring, um, they say that they invest in retaining, developing, and promoting diverse employees throughout all levels of the company as they grow. And they view DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, as a business strategy and an investment that leads to better, better business outcomes. Um, I see people talking about how more diverse teams leads to a better bottom line. Mm. And while that is an argument that might pique the interest of founders, CEOs, etc., people should just be hired because they're human. Yeah, this uh, I had um, Georgiana Laudi on the podcast last week and she was saying exactly this and you know work she does 
on kind of advisory boards and it, it, she was saying it's such a shame that that has to be the way to win people over but yeah of course we just need to be doing these things to be better humans and because people are humans yeah exactly and um Francis goes on to say a couple of things that they do at Rubica they provide multiple mediums and outlets for every person to have a voice um, being loud and outgoing is not required to be heard and valued. And I see this a lot, um, where the loudest person in the room is the person whose ideas that everybody takes and then implements, where a quiet person like me, I'm really quiet yeah. in, in meetings, but I have so many ideas and I have so much to share, I might be overlooked. Sure. And what I have to share might have been really helpful. So always make sure that you, and this is coming from me, not necessarily Rubica. I don't know if they do this, but rotate who is leading the meeting so that mm -hmm. everybody gets a chance to talk. Um, I think that's really important. That's a really good um, idea, yeah. I think one good thing about, um, sorry, just to interrupt you briefly, one good okay. thing about... Um, tech startups now is you know for Q for example is a remote company and I've sort of been thinking about this bit recently you know if you're communicating via slack a lot of the time I do think it actually allows obviously in-person meetings are really important too but I do think there are advantages to communicating on an app like slack where people who would usually be quieter in person can voice their opinions and kind of everyone's heard yeah, I absolutely agree, and I love dis distributed and remote teams for that reason, too. Yeah. It's such a great way to help equalize. Um, another thing that they do at Rubica is train and evaluate all managers on their demonstrated advancement of diversity and inclusion, and they are also really thoughtful about language used in recruiting and evaluation matters. Um, they say that this can create unintended barriers if you don't um, pay attention to language. Um, for example, is a college degree really required for that job description or are there other ways to de de demonstrate the required skills and knowledge? Um, the idea of cultural fit, and I totally agree with this, mm -hmm. is also problematic and leaves room for bias. Um, I was recently reading that, you know, if most people on the team are white and you're talking about cultural fit, then guess who's not going to be a good fit Yeah. if you're talking about hiring marginalized people mm. because our cultures are different. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that people are finally speaking out against cultural fit. Yeah. I think that's huge that people are starting to realize that and um, maybe that will not be so important in the future. Yeah, hopefully. So that's all really useful stuff and I'm also really glad that you've touched on a few companies who are actually doing these things now as we speak and I think those are some really good organisations to go and have a look at and do some more research on. Um, but what do you think we can do on an individual level to tackle inequality and lack of diversity in tech? You can diversify your network by introducing yourself to people that don't look like you. Um, it is a, you know, on a personal level, but it can have a big impact on good, who gets hired, recommended, promoted in tech, who makes it into communities. Um, one of my favorite articles ever is by Anil Dash on network inequality, and he talks about how when you've got a startup or a community and you're building it out, you usually invite your friends and family. Mm. But when, for example, 75% of white Americans don't have any black friends, then if you're white, where's the black people that you're going to invite to that community and mm -hmm. that community might be a really really um powerful community for 
helping advance your career. I mean, when I joined Growth Hackers and Product Hunt and started getting deeply involved in those communities, they have changed my life. Yeah. They've been tremendous for me. Um, and imagine if we just only invited more of the same people and it just continues that systemic issues that we're talking about here where we're not including other types of people and giving them the kinds of opportunities that we're giving ourselves. Yeah, and it's easier than ever to, to connect with other people now thanks to social media and the internet. So stuff yeah, something absolutely. we will be doing. So I thought it might be helpful for both of us to discuss um, some responses to people whose behaviour is in some way inappropriate or prejudiced um, because we're going to come across these people, as we all know, and I think um, you know sometimes bad behaviour needs clamping down on. Other times, you can educate people in a more compassionate way. So I thought we'd run through some different scenarios. So, firstly, what do you think is the best way to deal with someone who is blatantly prejudiced? So I got a couple of different perspectives here um, okay. from Mariani Dilian. She says, ensure that marginalized employees have the resources to face prejudiced employees head on. And if they do, also ensure that they have the resources to not deal with the repercussions of the fragility mm. um, of those people who are prejudiced. And make sure anyone in the company is able to address these issues. For example, if there's bias against women, men should also speak up. And if a woman speaks up, they should not be the ones to face repercussions. And this goes for any marginalized group. And we see this constantly. I mean, um, women speaking up against sexual harassment in the workplace, um, and this is why the Me Too movement came about, um, were not believed. And mm -hmm. then we get harassed online mm -hmm. constantly and told that we ruined the guy's lives. Mm -hmm when in reality, they deeply traumatized us. Yeah. Um, I don't understand this backlash against women who speak up. Um, that's just, it's so, it's, it's like everything else that we're talking about. I just, I have a hard time understanding like why things are the way yeah. they are. Yeah, there's racism and sexism. That's like a simple answer, but it, it just feels like things could be different. Of course, um, yeah. And that's one of them. Um, according to Carolyn Galvante, um, she says she found herself in situations um, when someone said something so inappropriate, and most of the time it was a director or executive or someone in a higher position than her, and she would just be so shell-shocked. Mm. Um, and if, you know, if she says something and stand up for herself, um, she can be potentially alienated from future conversations, or they might even say, you don't have a sense of humor or worse. Mm -hmm. It can jeopardize um, their, her chances of getting a promotion or a raise. Um, so she says the safest thing to do is document the incident and flag it to HR. Um, but that also goes back to me not trusting HR. Yeah. It really depends on who, who is in charge of HR. Yeah. And, and how some companies don't are. have HR. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that shock is a really common reaction and then often these things take place and then you think of your a better response afterwards. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That happens so much, those yeah. follow-up conversations in your head. Yeah, <laughs> so frustrating. But yeah, I think when possible, if you can um, document things, especially if they happen in writing, like take mm -hmm. screenshots, um, those, those things you just have to do. So... What's following on from that, like another scenario, what's the best way to deal with someone who wouldn't think of themselves as prejudiced and might not make such sort of blatant comments or acts, but they're guilty of certain assumptions or microaggressions? Going back to Mariani, again, she says to educate them, but ensure, uh, again, that the burden of proof of microaggressions does not fall on people who are being microaggressed. Mm. And going back to Carolyn again, um, she says uh, she'll admit that she's been triggered by these types of people, but the best thing she thinks to do is approach them when she's not feeling triggered or emotional by what just happened. 
and so she can have an honest conversation with that person if she is feels comfortable and safe doing so with that person mm. and that's major because some people that comfort level is just not there like mm. it really depends on the severity of what they did sure thing and so the third scenario because we always come across these people um what's the best way to deal with someone who questions the need to tackle diversity in tech in the first place i know that seems baffling to us and we've already covered loads of stats in our conversation so far but we're going to encounter them unfortunately we're still at that place where we have to sh- where we have to show the bottom line being impacted by a more diverse workforce um, so we can show da- data articles um, we can have weekly education where maybe there's like a 15 minute stand up or something like that um, from different people on different issues and you know getting out podcasts like this Mm -hmm. and making sure that they get in front of people who are trying to learn Um, I think that because I used to be like what I would say very liberal Mm -hmm. and to me when I say liberal, I mean more centrist. Mm. And I've changed a lot as I've encountered more educational materials. And I'd say that like I've become like more radical by now. So there are people out there who do want to improve. And I think a lot of times it's those people that if we can keep teaching each other, then we can keep teaching everybody else that is harder to teach. Um, we just need more and more resources and more helping um, and working together to move forward with that education. Um, and according to Lisa Abbott at Wutrick, um, she points out that everyone has bias. Um, it's kind of inescapable growing up in our culture. And mm-hmm. bias is often unconscious too because we're not taught about bias. I mean, people in marketing might, you know, we kind of know about bias because we're studying conversion optimization and so on. But, Mm -hmm. you know, day-to-day people might not go and read (laughs) the Wikipedia article on different types of bias. Um, And she says a dominant uh, person, or excuse me, a a person in the dominant culture, like, rarely intends to be hurtful, but the impact is just the same. And unconscious bias training can be really helpful here. And studies have shown, for example, that doctors who are made aware of the fact that they underprescribe heart medication to men of color have been shown to change their behavior once they know this. Mm. So once everyone in a company or team has been made aware of unconscious bias um, and the ways that can create an unwelcoming or even hostile environment for people of color, women, LGBTQ people, etc., um, there's a basis for um, having a chat with someone on your team who may be exhibiting that behavior. Um, And as for the bigots, every company should have a code of conduct and discrimination and harassment policy um, that is conveyed as part of the employee onboarding. Um, Violations of the policy must be taken seriously. Um, I would counteract that with an article that I've written before on sometimes policies can make things worse um, because people who are not as marginalized will think that there's some kind of unfair focus or like protection on marginalized people. And um, they can say, well, there's a policy in place. And um, so if a marginalized person does say that something's affecting them, they'll be like, well, how? There's a policy in place, like you're taken care of and they're not listened to. So there's different angles to look at, you know, policies and how they work. And that's something else that we do need to work on is like, what do policies look like um, on paper versus how do they play out in the real world? Sure, I guess like what you've just been saying is, you know, for all of us, it's a constant journey of learning and making sure we educate ourselves. So you can't just think that if you have a, a policy, you've ticked diversity off the list and that's done. Exactly. It's, like it's not process. just an item to check off a list. Sure thing. So we talked a minute ago about how Slack um, can help with some of these issues. And um, 
but you know the internet and social media can be a double-edged sword when it comes to diversity and inclusion um, because on the one hand it gives us a platform to raise awareness voice our experiences and opinions and build communities which is something you're really great at doing but on the other hand it gives people the opportunity to hide behind their screens while they perpetuate hateful behavior or just you know like you said earlier publish an insensitive meme so what should we all be doing to make the online space safer and more inclusive? I truly think that people at the top, at Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, especially, could put better policies in place because mm. what happens is that a marginalized person can speak out about a hateful comments made towards them but the person that made those hateful comments won't be penalized but the person who received the hateful comments will be post blocked or they'll have their account completely taken away from them mm. it is the absolute backwards of the way that it should be and it makes zero sense at all like i have yeah. friends who have had get post blocked so many times on Facebook just for saying, hey, look at this really hateful thing that somebody said to and about me while that person just gets away with it and my friend gets post blocked. Okay. Oh. And it just, it's, it's to the point where I don't even use Facebook anymore. I think it's actually the worst at all of this. And Twitter's probably pretty bad too about this. Mm. I mean, Twitter allows pretty much the president to start wars from Twitter. And to me, yeah. that should seem like, uh, you know, a violation of their terms. But he's on there just saying, spewing out really hateful things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, I noticed the other day, actually, that I couldn't find you on Facebook for something. So it's interesting to hear that that's why. And I guess maybe if more people make a stand against this, then we'll start to see some changes. Hopefully. I really hope that more people talk about how Facebook is a very toxic environment because of these exact issues. Mm -hmm. um, I also read recently that Facebook is allowing um, targeted advertising to people who... Um, have identified themselves on there as liking Nazis, which means that Facebook is allowing the radicalization of these already radicalized people mm. so that they become even worse. Mm. Um, and that's just like one part of it. There's yeah. so many other issues and things that Facebook is allowing that is just horrendous. Yeah, and we probably don't even know about. It's kind of scary. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of social media, um, lots of brands are creating more socially conscious ad campaigns right now, but sometimes they face criticism for not being genuine. Um, and there have been some infamous marketing campaigns that have missed the mark and alienate marginalized audiences when they try and capitalize on a cause or a movement. So what's your advice for brands thinking of addressing these issues in their marketing campaigns? You know, is it a good idea and are there any examples of brands who have done this with integrity and actually made a positive impact? So as an LGBTQ person, I do notice very much every year when brands who don't speak out about LGBTQ issues year round try to capitalize off pride by yeah. creating rainbow pins and t-shirts and mm. so on. Um, if you want to be genuine, then you need to be out there advocating and being a real activist and actually genuinely caring about the cause instead of just capitalizing off it. Um, and a couple of brands that I've noticed that are trying. Um, one of them is Fenty Beauty by Rihanna. I'm so glad you um, brought this up because I absolutely love everything Rihanna's doing with Fenty. So right. Um, yeah. she, you know, she created the most inclusive makeup line that I think any of us has ever seen. Yeah. 
Um, and she's also got Savage X Fenty for mm -hmm. inclusive lingerie. Um, everybody's probably heard of Dove's Real Beauty campaign. Um, and I mentioned Starbucks making mistakes in the past, but they're they're leading the way for providing healthcare packages and like equality for LGBTQ people, mm. especially. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, speaking of that, um, Sephora does trans makeup classes by trans people, which oh, is cool. great um, because makeup's going to be completely different. Yeah. And and having somebody who is like you to help you with your makeup is is just like it's so much more of a like a relief it it's nice to be represented and like see yourself reflected um and there was a coca-cola commercial at some point a few years ago where they had people speaking in different languages um that apparently went over really well i didn't see it but i heard that like that was a good move um but basically it's all about are you trying to capitalize on the day like mm -hmm. uh, or week like pride week or are you actually um a real advocate or activist because um, sometimes you'll even see companies that are selling pride merchandise but then the ceo of the company is invent uh investing in anti LGBTQ like legislator, yeah. um, legislation rather. So it just really, it's just blatantly obvious when um, they don't care about us. Mm. It's all about consistency, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, um, some of the best way, one of the best ways to approach this is to hire um, more than one marginalized person to review your campaigns. Oh, completely. Uh, and that, again, intersectionality comes into play here. Um, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to hire a white woman and call it a day. Um, there's different types of women, yeah. uh, for example, and there's different types of LGBTQ people and different types of people of color and so on. And this, this, disabled people get overlooked a lot mm -hmm. um so you know there there could be a lot more work done for bringing in the people who are directly impacted by this oppression to pay them for their time mm -hmm. to review these items and, and go over them and provide feedback yeah such a good point and i was actually at a panel event um and it was on the beauty industry, which obviously you've just touched on now and a lot of exciting things are happening in that space. And it was talking about diversity and inclusion. And, you know, the, one of the main points was just that, OK, we have all of these ads that um, feature really diverse models and everything. But <clears throat> the people working at the companies are not representing those communities. So and that's where often, you know, brands can make uh -huh. mistakes because it's not internally you know, they don't have that representation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you're based in the US, um, which is obviously seeing a lot of political upheaval at the moment. Um, how would you say Trump's politics are impacting the way businesses are run right now? Even beyond business, Trump is ripping families apart over here. Yeah. And that includes families at the border, but also families, you know, everyday families that I, I don't want to like accidentally say the wrong thing here, but like there's the border issue and immigration. And then there's also families where, you know, we've been here. Um, and if I'm saying anything correctly, hang on a second. <laughs> no worries. If I'm saying anything incorrectly here, I would love for somebody to let me know. Um, like, I had to block my dad on Facebook because he just kept posting very racist, very, very hateful things on there, and he was inspired by Trump. Mm. Um, in terms of business, um, 
I got input from um, Skylar Acevedo at frac, F-R-A-C dot T-L, who has been um, examining political talk on social media um, with their team. Mm. And they surveyed over a thousand people who use social media accounts at least once a week on expressing political views. And what they found was nearly three in five people felt online political discussions were less respectful than before the 2016 election. Mm. 42% of people blocked political posts from others on social media and 44% have unfriended or unfollowed someone because of their political views. Um, averaging uh, of 4.6 people. Wow. Um, Facebook is the most used social platform for uh, political posts across all aff- affiliations, and that's probably why I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 64% of people said they were generally tolerant, open-minded toward political views that differed for, from their own, but um, 48% interacted with people on social media who do share their views. Um, and here's the thing too, that I was talking to Mariani about, um, even if Trump wasn't here, a lot of the issues would still be present and would Mm. be salient. Um, he's just drawn more attention to things that have been going on. Like, um, in my opinion, um, there is no make America great again because it was founded on the backs of colonized and enslaved peoples. Um, he's just kind of inspired people who didn't express it as much to kind of come out of the woodwork and really bring it to the forefront and it feels like a really hostile environment here um, that is causing a lot of rifts in the workplace and in families and it's just it's really intense Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of seen similar things happening in the UK with Brexit. And, you know, after Brexit, there was a massive, like a noticeable increase in um, racism and acts of violence and stuff in the streets. It's just like, you know, like you're saying, this stuff's always been present, but it's just kind of come to the forefront a bit more now. And people feel like they have permission to be hateful. Yeah, and Trump posts these anti um, journalist rhetoric, rhetoric on social just about every day. Yeah. And now we have people who are creating, um, we just had a guy, a Coast Guard, who created a hit list of journalists that he wanted to go kill. And mm-hmm. we've also had journalists over here being attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to turn... Uh, Americans against the free press um, and that is just very scary yeah it's scary times we live in for sure yeah but you know hopefully by having conversations like this and you've touched on so many great um, resources and people to look at then you know we can do some good Um, and I could talk to you for much longer but um, just one final question what are some good resources, platforms, or communities for meeting like-minded people and supporting the cause of diversity in tech? So I recommend Vessi.com. It's V-E-S-S-Y.com. She just released a 2019 Diversity in the Workplace report, which we can put in the blog. Um, if you want to learn about disability, especially, and she's been so inspiring to me, um, Imani Bar- Barbarin, I'm really bad at names, but um, she goes by Crutches and Spice on Twitter. Um, of course, everybody knows about Erica Joy. Yeah. And then there's um, EKP for on Twitter, Ellen K. Powell. Um, there's Black Girls Code, Hack the Hood, Bitch Media, The Body is Not an Apology is amazing. Like, The Body is Not an Apology is a book, and I hope I'm getting her name right, Sonia Renee Taylor. And she's also got a whole movement, and what's great about The Body is Not an Apology is that every article on that website 
is written by the person who's directly affected by whatever they're writing about. Mm. So whenever I read an article about something that affects someone, say if it's about black people, I make sure that it's by a black person. Like I want the perspective from that person. Um, And she does a fantastic job at at making sure that the articles are by exactly um, the person that's impacted. Um, There's a medium publication called The Establishment that has some like really good feminist um, takes or like essays on it. Um, I would follow Arlen from Backstage Capital. She's got so much to share and she's out there just like killing it. Um, And I'm I'm hoping that, you know, there's more and more um, VCs of color out there so that we can get those stats up that I mentioned earlier with billions of dollars going into VC and so little of it going into like people of color. Yeah, now Arlen is an amazing person to follow and I'm definitely going to go and look at some of these other places that you've mentioned as well. I could probably list just so many places. Yeah. Um, so we can work on that for the article. Definitely, and we can include all these in the show notes, of course, so people can go and check them out. Um, well, thank you so much, Nicole. Like, it's been really, really amazing. Like, I've got so much out of talking to you about this and I know our listeners too so thank you so much um and you've really put so much work into doing this thanks so much for having me again i hope you enjoyed this episode of conversations with q we'll be back next week with another very special guest and in the meantime we'd love to hear your feedback So please do rate, review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.